Hello, Health Investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Dr. Lena Begdash. Dr. Begdash is an assistant professor in the Health and Wellness Studies Department at Binghamton University. She received her PhD in cell and molecular biology with a neuroscience concentration, also at Binghamton University, and a master's degree in nutrition sciences from the University of Buffalo. Dr. Begdash is a registered dietitian nutritionist, a certified nutrition specialist scholar, a certified dietitian nutritionist, and a fellow of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. She's also a speaker and writer on different topics on nutrition, brain health, and mood. Her research focuses on depicting and modeling the links between dietary and lifestyle factors, such as stress, sleep, and exercise, and their relation to mental distress, like anxiety and depression. She has a special interest in sex differences and age groups, as brain morphology differs across these groups. In the episode, Dr. Begdash shares nuanced nutrition changes that we should consider based on our sex and age, a primary reason for unwanted weight change during the pandemic, two common misconceptions about nutrition that really irk her, and more. Before we get to the episode, I want to share one of my favorite resources with you. On my quest to eat mostly whole and minimally processed foods, and to do so without exerting a lot of additional effort, I discovered ThriveMarket.com. ThriveMarket is an online grocery platform that's essentially a mix of Costco, Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, and Amazon. So essentially, it's all of the greats in one. Since Thrive Market sells thousands of healthier options and delivers them right to my door, I'm able to reach my nutrition goals without needing to give up a lot of my time or energy. The other fantastic thing about Thrive is that they sell everything for less than most brick and mortar stores, which means I'm able to save about $1,000 a year on groceries. If you want to learn more about Thrive Market to see if it's the right fit for you, and also to steal my shopping list of over 150 items, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash thrivemarket, or just click through the link I'll put in the show notes. One more thing, as you may know, Apple podcast reviews mean the world to us podcasters, so I wanted to take a minute to share a recent one with you. Jane H. 89 rated the Health Investment Podcast five stars and wrote, I love the variety of topics for all things health, from nutrition to sleep to exercise. Also, tackling interesting issues that are upcoming or hot topics is appreciated so I can have a jumping off point and resource to start my own research. Like I had heard of the inflammation diet, but didn't fully get what it was, so her episode on this topic was eye-opening and had a lot of great information to think on and learn from. Thank you so much for this review, Jane H. 89 I truly appreciate you taking the time to leave me your feedback. If you are listening and you realize you haven't left a review yet, I'd be so grateful if you could take five minutes and do so right now. Every review sends a message to Apple that you're loving this podcast, so it helps me to reach a greater audience, which is my ultimate goal. To leave your review, simply visit thehealthinvestment.com review. Thank you in advance. All right, let's hear from Dr. Begdash. Enjoy. I'm Brooke Simonson, Certified Nutrition Coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. 
I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Dr. Begdash. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. I was just mentioning off air that one of my husband's friends actually sent me an article highlighting some of your newer research, and I found it so fascinating. So I reached out to you immediately and asked if you would join, and you so kindly accepted. So I'm just very happy to have you here today. Happy to be here, and thank you for the invitation. Yeah, for sure. I'd love if you could just start by sharing your story and specifically what led you to become a registered dietitian and also then a professor professor of nutrition. Actually, my my story follows three mottos. Uh, things happen for a reason and never say never, as well as better late than never. So um, when I was applying to school uh, from high school, I was, uh, I was thinking about nutrition and business administration um, just because my whole family comes from like a business background. But I've, I had some interest in, uh, in nutrition just because I was an athlete. I, uh, uh, I used to play basketball for the school. But my uh, inclination was to go into business just because of the family um, um, orientation. Um, so I happen, uh, it happened that I had an incident where I had, um, um, I had a game and I was going uh, to that game and I grabbed a chocolate bar. I still remember the brand name of the chocolate bar and I ate it right before starting my warm up and then uh, the game and I crashed. And I realized that uh, it happened because I ate the chocolate bar right before the warm-up and um, and playing. So that actually was a trigger for me to put um, to choose the field of nutrition as my first choice um, in college. And I went into um, into nutrition and I loved it. But it took me two years to understand what happened to me. Um, so and. Um, so that is things happen for a reason because of that chocolate bar. I ended up choosing nutrition. Uh, the second thing, the second motto is um, I, I wanted to be a, a registered dietitian from the beginning uh, and I wanted to work in a hospital. Uh, the only uh, issue at that time is I had an internship done after my graduation and um, I uh, so that internship was in the hospital, and I realized that I don't like to be in a hospital setting. And I, um, it was it it was kind of disappointing because I love nutrition, but I felt like this is not what I wanted to do. Hmm. So I went up for my master degree. Um, I, I actually did it at uh, at University at Buffalo, and um, at that time the university was not accredited to be to to help me get my. Uh, RD or to become a registered dietitian. So I felt like I can't do much with my a degree in, in nutrition science because um, I was in a place where I couldn't find a job with, um, with a, such a degree. And I decided to go for my PhD. Um, but I also wondered what, what, will, what will I do with a PhD uh, except with like mostly teaching, um, I could find other jobs, but with my with my husband's and my family, I had to be confined, like in a or or restricted uh, uh, at uh, at certain places. And the reason why I say never say never because I've never thought that I would like teaching until I tried it and I loved it. And that was the moment when I decided I want to be um, a professor and. Um, and at that time, I was still not a registered dietitian, so it's never um, it's better late than never, because I continued um, after my PhD. I uh, um, I was able to enroll in a program where I was able to get uh, the verification statement to sit for the RD exam and and get my RD credentials. So it only happened um, about six years ago. Oh wow. What a beautiful framing of your story. I love that. The three mottos. You can tell you're a professor because of the way you kind of present <laughs> your story. I love that. 
So I originally found you through your work on your research on custom diets for mental health. And I'd love to kind of dive into that first before talking about some of your other work. So I guess the first question would be the term healthy diet. Can Mm -hmm. everyone follow the same dietary pattern or principles? Why or why not? That's actually a very good question. Um, so when we talk about healthy diet, we basically relate it to physical health. Um, and with, phys- uh, with physical health, we know that there, um, if, you, if you consume um, components or a number of, uh, um, of food groups, these will uh, provide health benefits. However, with the advancement uh, in um, in the nutritional field, in the uh, in the genetic fields, and so forth, we're learning that people could have gene variants, and these variants can impact sometimes how we metabolize food. So yes, there is a general healthy diet, but we're learning that maybe there should be some variation between individuals. My research focuses more on mental health, and there is no recommendation so far for what's really a good uh, a good or a healthy diet for mental health. And I'm hoping through my research that I could um, um, I could trigger that um, the initiation of, of, of this process is to have um, researchers and uh, people who can actually make the recommendation um, to look into, yes, we need uh, um, recommendations for mental health, not only for physical health, so through my research, uh, I was trying to uh, show that we we need to uh, customize the diet based on several factors. So I was looking at gender and I was looking also at age groups. So a healthy diet, yes, is a healthy diet, but sometimes we need to have a variation to optimize health, uh, physical or mental health. Mm. And I'd love to dive into the variation. So you specifically studied young women, mature women, young men, and mature men, what, what's the line between young and mature? What is the age cutoff there? So if we look into the brain maturity, um, and we're only looking at adults now, um, adults continue to mature their brain until the mid to late uh, 20s. Because of, uh, of that maturity process, the brain still needs certain nutrients that the mature brain doesn't need them anymore. So um, that, that was my idea is like, maybe there's a need by younger adults that is not really seen by older adults. And if we look at the literature, most of, uh, of the studies have combined all age group together. So that was my first uh, plan is to look into, is there a difference between the diet in relation to mental health between young adults and mature adults? And we found that there is a difference because after the brain is fully matured, we enter the stage of the slow brain aging. And even um, uh, so for for people 30 and above, there, there also should be different maybe uh, patterns of diet or maybe food or or a group of nutrients that should be consumed to help the brain to stay younger and maybe to fight the, the age-related processes that happen with age. I see. So essentially the variations for younger people are more to help the brain grow and then it kind of turns into how to maintain the brain and prevent it from aging too quickly? Yes, that's okay. correct. So let's, I guess, tackle women first. What would be the different dietary recommendations for young versus mature women? So through my studies, um, I found that young women and mature women may share some, um, some components. But we found that exercise is more important, like higher intensity of exercise, um, higher frequency, I'm sorry, um, higher frequency of exercise is more important for mature women, but both um, young and mature women need exercise in order to feel um, mental well-being. Breakfast is also very important for them. 
Now, uh, I found something interesting is that caffeine, um, even um, moderate amount of caffeine may impact the mood of, uh, of younger uh, females, but higher consumption of caffeine may impact the mood of mature women. Hmm. And why is that? Um, and that's because uh, looking into the literature to find the evidence, um, young females have more estrogen in their system, and estrogen and caffeine compete for the same enzyme to be metabolized. So therefore, higher estrogen means longer caffeine uh, in the system. So even with moderate amount, that could still uh, increase level of mental distress. Is moderate amount just even one cup of coffee a day? We uh, actually looked at the frequency uh, of, of consumption. Um, I'm just trying to remember. I'm sorry. I'm blanking on, on the frequency. I think it was three to four cups a day. Oh, okay. So one yeah. cup a day could still be, one or two cups a day could still be fine, but it's more... Yes. Avoiding sort of excessive caffeine, especially if you're a woman in your 20s. And then for mature women, is it avoiding in excess of four or so cups a day? Right. And and uh, we, we actually looked at caffeine, not just coffee. So caffeine could be in coffee, in tea, in sodas, energy drinks. Um, so these, these could uh, add up. So... Mm-hmm. It, it could be a, a cup of coffee, but maybe three, four sodas a day. So these um, will be adding up the caffeine um, intake. I see. Why more? Uh, why is it important to have a higher frequency of exercise as we age as women? Because exercise can actually promote several th- uh, good things uh, for the brain. Uh, exercise increases the level of uh, um, a factor. It's called neurotrophic factor. And this, this factor supports more um, brain connectivity, which is higher in women. It also supports something called neuroplasticity, which is uh, turning stem cells in the brain into functional neurons because we, we lose brain cells on a regular basis. And the difference between brain cells are, and other type of cells is that brain cells, the neurons, cannot regenerate. So, mm-hmm. f- uh, for example, skin cells can regenerate, um, heart cells uh, t- to a certain extent. Brain cells, the neurons cannot so when we start losing brain cells this is when um specifically neurons uh this is when we start having a decline in memory decline in cognitive functions it may impact our mood so by exercising we keep our brain young by releasing the growth factors and the neurotrophic factors that the brain needs um, another thing, it increases blood flow to the brain, so it, uh, it brings more nutrients, more uh, antioxidants, because as we get older, we have more oxidation happening in the brain. Something that I found uh, for mature women is that fruit intake is very important, and because fruit has a lot of antioxidants, so fruits were found to support mental well-being in mature women. When you say a higher frequency of exercise, what does that exactly mean? Is that four or five days a week or more? We we actually found it to be six to seven, so almost every oh, wow. day. Okay, and that can that be walking or kind of lighter exercise, or does that mean more kind of strength training or proper cardio? That's or actually hit a good question. Um, we 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 only asked. Um, individuals about exercising 20 minutes uh, or more a day because the recommendation we found evidence in the literature that those who exercise on a daily basis for at least 20 minutes had an improved in mental well-being mm. so we only add that ask that question but this is something that I would like to dwell further into and and find uh, more about the frequency the type um, in uh, in and the gender difference in relation to mental health. Right. Because I've read that especially strength training can be important for women as we age to keep our you know, bodies working well and strong. So yeah, I'd be very interested in that research as well. 
And then one other thing you mentioned for women was breakfast. Can you touch on that a bit more? Sure. So uh, the reason why we wake up in the morning is because we have a higher cortisol uh, release and cortisol is a stress hormone. Um, so, um, so cortisol levels uh, are highest in the morning and then they drop as the day goes by. Uh, breakfast eating lowers cortisol. Women are at the higher um, uh, risk for stress in general. Um, and stress comes from cortisol, um, or it's it's initiated by cortisol. So by eating breakfast, that's low. That will lower the cortisol levels. So females would would have met, a better mental well being mm. uh, through breakfast eating. Got it. Interesting. And then I guess moving to men now, can you describe what you found for young versus mature men? Um, so for young men, we found that exercise uh, is also important, high exercise. Uh, something interesting that wasn't uh, uh, found in, in women, young or mature women, we found that moderate dairy is uh, is important and moderate um, to high meat consumption is important. Um, it, it was actually very interesting to find this. So both dairy and meat... Uh, provide complete proteins or high quality proteins but also meat um, provide um, iron which is um, iron is a cofactor for several processes in the brain and we were wondering uh, why women uh, young women didn't really have um, a need for meat um, obviously there is a need I'm not saying that there should not be uh, a need but for for young men meat was very important um, so as I said meat and dairy provide high high quality proteins but also the meat is good source of iron and um, as I said I'm sorry I feel like I'm repeating myself but iron is a is a cofactor for several uh, reactions in the brain and I was wondering why men, not women. So I uh, actually was able to find evidence in the literature that because women tend to have their menses, young women have their menses, they have developed uh, or evolved uh, a system where they can uh, have a better absorption for iron and better storage for iron when needed. So although they're, be they're, they're still eating meat, uh, probably not high meat, they're able to store the iron better than men. Hmm. Interesting. So young men need to eat more meat generally, or research suggests that would be the case? Yes. So my first study, when I compared just mature versus young, uh, I found that meat was an important factor. Uh, however, the last study, the one that you just referred to, uh, we were able to depict that it's mostly in young men uh, more than young women. Oh, okay. And then what about mature men? Something very interesting uh, in mature men, and I'm and I'm and I keep on finding it with uh, all the studies that I have uh, performed uh, so far, that uh, men, um, mature men, the mood of uh, of mature men is not as sensitive as women's uh, mood. Um, I mean to uh, diet. So, um, and I found it in multiple studies. Uh, it looks like um, women have more uh, need for certain food groups than men. And it looks like women are more sensitive to the consumption and frequency of certain food groups than men. Um, we found that, that mental distress is only... Um, uh, found in men when they consume fast food and they don't exercise. So as long as they're eating partially healthy and including some exercise in their um, daily regimen, they should be okay. Uh, not probably like having the best mental well-being, but they're not having a mental distress. Hmm. Do you have any hypothesis as to why that is? Is it their hormone difference? Yeah, or? so uh, I looked further into the brain morphology because there's a difference between men and women morphology. So the structures are the same, but how the structures are put together seem to be different. Uh, women have more brain connectivity, and this is why women tend to be more multitasking. Uh, 
men have more volume in certain areas of the brain. So the volumes take longer time to uh, shrink or um, to atrophy, whereas um, the brain connections have a high turnover. So there is a need for continuous replenishment. Since women have more brain connectivity, they need to replenish uh, on a regular basis, meaning they need to consume a spectrum of food groups in order to maintain um, this connectivity. And the important thing between um, for this connectivity is that um, th uh, this connection also could be between regions of the brain where uh, you generate emotions and you control emotions. So if you have a generation of emotions and you're not able to control those emotions, that could lead to mental distress in women. Hmm. What are the food groups that you've mentioned that women need to be sure to touch on? So uh, I did mention um, fruits. Um, mm -hmm. we, we found in, uh, in a previous study uh, consumption of uh, fish or omega-3 fats is important. I didn't find it in the study uh, you were referring to, maybe because the sample didn't consume enough. Mm. But um, yeah, I found it in a different study that uh, omega-3 fats are important. Um, which is uh, found in uh, wild-caught uh, fish, not in farm-raised fish, by the way, mm -hmm. um, and or uh, through supplementation, um, because the brain connectivity is uh, is mostly um, made up of a substance called myelin sheet, and the myelin is mostly fat, and most of this fat is in the form of omega-3. So if mm -hmm. women are not consuming fish, again, the fish that contains the omega-3, uh, or uh, or taking fish supplements, they may have a disruption in their uh, brain connectivity. So these could be mostly like micro lesions happening. And the function of the myelin sheet is to increase the speed of connection between brain regions. So if you have micro lesions, you have um, a slower communication between those regions. Oh, okay, I see. And I know you had also had some interesting findings about men and dairy. Can you elaborate on those? Um, so dairy is, um, as I said, it, um, it's a source of, uh, of good protein, but it's also um, um, a source of certain uh, amino acids. So these um, amino acids are constituents of proteins. And some of these amino acids act as uh, work uh, to produce neurotransmitters. Um, so for example, uh, tyrosine, um, it's an amino acid highly found in dairy, and it's, uh, it's a precursor for a brain chemical called dopamine. And dopamine supports um, motivation, um, mostly goal-oriented uh, motivation. It is also important for uh, brain maturity and uh, uh, and also um, uh, movement. Um, so, mm. so people, for example, uh, with Parkinson's disease, they have low dopamine, which impact their movement. So, uh, we found there's an association between. So, this is a different study that I'm also uh, that I'm telling you about. Dairy uh, associated with exercise, and it could be young adult because they exercise more. Um, they they consume more dairy. Mostly, they consume it as a form of make uh, um, uh, uh, chocolate milk mm. um, after exercising. So by by providing the tyrosine, which produce dopamine, they're more likely to be motivated to exercise, and exercising can boost um, mental well-being. Mm. Um, Something that I also forgot to um, mention about exercise, uh, exercise can boost certain brain chemicals that also improve mental well, um, well-being like serotonin. Serotonin is the, is the target of the antidepressant and anti-anxiety medications. So exercise is a natural booster of these, um, of these neurotransmitters. Um, the, uh, exercise can also increase endorphins, which also uh, are feel-good chemicals. So this is why exercise is important for all gender and all age groups. Mm -hmm. 
And is it the same recommendation as men mature having a higher frequency of exercise? Uh, interestingly, we didn't find exercise associated with um, mental well-being in mature men. It could be because we had the smaller sample. Um, so compared to all four groups we, we looked at, mature men was the smallest sample. So it could be that we, um, if most men in the group uh, didn't exercise much, then it's hard to depict exercise uh, as a promoter of mental well-being. But what we found that education, higher education associated with mental well-being so if we look at the biochemistry of exercise and uh, edu- or higher education on the brain, they actually work similarly uh, because education is like when, when people use their brain all the time, this is going to promote more blood flow to the brain because you're using your, uh, your brain more. It also promotes the release of the neurotrophic, uh, neurotrophic factor that I mentioned. It's called brain-derived neurotrophic factor or BDNF. Mm-hmm. Exercise and uh, using your brain all the time increases the release of BGNF. So um, it could be that higher education has the same impact um, on uh, on the brain as exercise. Obviously, obviously, it has to be done on a regular basis. Um, you know, using the brain and studying and um, dealing with with. with hard material because the brain challenge itself when when you expose yourself to news uh, to new information it's not from the first time sometimes you assimilate this information but the brain keeps on working to make connections to make sense of the information you're learning and this is what's what is considered exercise to the brain uh, okay so that could be even just learning a new skill or instrument or language or something later in life okay to keep the brain challenged basically exactly okay very cool i know you mentioned doing more research on the specificity of workouts for women but i'm curious what other questions do you still have after your research that you're hoping to dive into more yeah, as I said, uh, I'm interested now in, in frequency of exercise, um, the type of exercise, whether uh, exercise uh, um, exercising indoor or outdoor, um, is there a difference? Um, I'm also interested in, in, in the diet as, uh, as a way or um, as a trigger of stress, because sometimes if we uh, if we eat unhealthy, this may trigger certain stress hormones to be released. So I'm interested now in this. Uh, all the research that has been done looked at the impact of stress on eating, but now mm. uh, there's evidence in the literature that if you eat certain way or certain groups and avoiding other groups that may also trigger the release of the stress hormones. So that that's also my interest. Yeah, that's really fascinating to think about the interconnectedness of all these things, stress, sleep, movement, nutrition, how there's kind of a two-way arrow going from each one. It's not just that stress affects what you eat, but probably also the other way around. That's really, that's interesting. Uh, I know you wrote an article about unwanted weight loss and weight gain during the pandemic, and I would love if you could touch more on that because I think a lot of people right now can really uh, can relate. <laughs> yeah, so I was approached um, by my own institution to answer a question that con- uh, that the conversation platform uh, had asked. And um, it's about a poll that was done by the American Psychological Association that showed that uh, 61% of U.S. adults reported undesired weight change since the beginning of the pandemic. Hmm. Um, So in this poll, it showed that 42% of respondents had had reported uh, a change in their weight. So it was on average 29 pounds. Um, about 10% said that they have gained more than 50 pounds and uh, 18% reported that they have lost weight and on an average of 26 pounds. Hmm. So the question was like, how, how can you explain this change? Um, so uh, I answered this question based on how 
the stress of the pandemic may have impacted our brain chemistry uh, because when when we go through stress, the stress is an innate response, and it 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 has evolved to help human beings survive a threat or adapt to a stressor. And obviously, the pandemic is a stressor, and people needed to adapt to it. So the physiology, the changes in the physiology. Uh, have have caused more uh, release of the stress hormones. So so the stress hormones will um, were released to mediate the physiological uh, physiological changes, but also the brain needs to uh, adapt by changing um, the way it secretes its um, its brain chemicals. So um, uh, for example, cortisol, which is the stress hormone can reduce uh, serotonin, which is the, the feel-good uh, transmitter. And serotonin is a precursor for melatonin, which is the sleep uh, hormone. So by being under stress, not only our mood is impacted, but our sleep is impacted as well. Um, cortisol can also lower dopamine, uh, which is the goal-oriented uh, neurotransmitter. So people lose motivation to exercise, to eat healthy, uh, even just to lead their daily task. So by having this disruption, people had lost uh, the way they um, had. Um, so it it basically triggered change in their eating habits. Um, less exercise, maybe uh, less sleep, um, and so forth. So uh, even even sleep is um, is a way to regulate your food intake because. Uh, we have hunger uh, centers in the brain um, and, uh, and satiety centers. So uh, these are typically uh, regulated by uh, our, our neurotransmitters. Um, and sleep can reset the function of these centers. So by losing the neurotransmitters, by, by uh, losing the reset option, there is a change uh, in eating habits and in, in the metabolism as well. So people have a change in their, me in their metabolism, so they're more likely to be gaining or losing weight. Mm. So what are some of your recommendations when going through a stressful period? Hopefully not a pandemic again. I know we're still kind of in it, but or just a stressful time in life to prevent unwanted weight change. So stress is not to be a perceived sensation, meaning it comes from the brain. Um, mm. we, have, um, um, we have a center in the brain, it's called the limbic system. Um, in the limbic system, we have a, a tiny gland called uh, the amygdala. This is where we, we generate emotions and thoughts. Um, and then we store these emotions. So every time we face a situation where we've heard about something similar or we've seen something similar and this situation associated with the negative emotions, then this is when we start stress. So anytime people feel the stress or start uh, having those anxious thoughts, it's good to, to train yourself to move the negative emotions into positive emotions and uh, so the negative emotions will decrease serotonin and dopamine positive emotions can increase serotonin and increase dopamine so uh, whether it's uh, it's excitement or uh, anxiety these are two high emotions but you can actually train your brain to move from negative to positive by changing the way you think about the situation. Hmm. So, for example, in the pandemic, if if people were confined uh, at home, instead of thinking about the negative impact of uh, of the pandemic, maybe thinking about the positive aspect of being confined at home. You have more time for your family. You're enjoying your family. When you start thinking in a positive way your whole physiology is changed and cortisol levels will, will drop. You have more serotonin, you have more dopamine, you have more, more motivation. This is when you're probably able to, to uh, uh, exercise more, even if you're at home, maybe find joyful activities and it's not gonna impact uh, negatively uh, your, your brain and physical health. 
Right. Yeah, that's really interesting. It reminds me of the idea that I've read where if you're really sad or angry or having a bad day, if you just physically smile, that the act of smiling can send a signal that everything's better. Or have you read that research? Yes. That, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's actually true. <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting. And, you know, just retraining our thoughts and just almost like physical exercise or growing a muscle, you know, it takes time, I think, but yes, can be yeah. super powerful. So, um, you, uh, so when I mentioned about BDNF, so BDNF is a way to make connections, reinforce connections and make new connections. Um, so, um, by, by training your, your brain to think in a positive way, uh, you're, uh, your brain is releasing B, um, BDNF and it uh, it reinforces new circuits and these new circuits in the brain is going to help you keep on um, uh, thinking in a positive way and eventually becoming a positive person. Mm. Um, it's it, it's not impossible. It's actually uh, feasible, but it, it takes time. As you said, it's like growing a muscle. You need to train it on a regular basis. And this is how we actually can improve uh, our outlook on life and be more um uh have more like a joyful uh life if you train yourself to become a positive person through that training and i think there's a lot of hope in that if somebody feels like they kind of always have a negative outlook that it's not something that has to happen that there is a way to kind of retrain your thoughts and your brain to look more on the bright side of things yes that's I'm true. wondering if there are any misconceptions floating around out there about nutrition. I know you have such an extensive background. Um, so, you know, things you read in news headlines or you see on social media of things people are saying about nutrition that aren't actually true. Oh, there are plenty of them, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the, the most important thing that people are... Um, um, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on this on this term. Um, I think the the most um, misunderstood uh, concept is the concept of eating carbohydrate. Mm. Uh, people say um, that you you should you should avoid carbs in order to lose weight. Uh, you, you can still eat carbohydrate and still lose weight because if you think about it, we are made up of trillions of cells. And almost every single cell in our body uses glucose, which is a carb, as a source of energy. And uh, and people would say, well, you can still uh, generate glucose uh, from non-carbohydrate sources, and it's true. You can you can uh, generate carbohydrates from some amino acids in your diet. But this sometimes comes at the expense of your muscle because the muscle is the biggest storage of uh, amino acid in in your body. And if you uh, if you miss on uh, um, if you don't meet your your amino acid needs to produce uh, glucose, your muscle is going to suffer. And when, when we decrease muscle level, this is when we decrease metabolism. Our muscle is a source of nutrients for our immune system, so uh, our immune system could be impacted. Uh, um, our muscle is a source of st strength, um, so this uh, would be uh, also impacted. Hmm. Um, another misconception in um, um, on social media and online is daily. Um, people say that you don't need to drink milk because people tend to be lactose intolerant. Uh, and I can say that when people stop drinking milk, this is when our body uh, turns into turning off the enzyme um, to metabolize lactose. It, it's not that everyone, we, we do have genetic variations uh, in the lactase enzyme. So people are inherently more at risk for, uh, for lactose intolerance. The, the the type of calcium in, in in dairy is the best absorbed for our bones and unfortunately this generation the young generation now by not drinking milk 
are at a higher risk of osteoporosis than their own parents. Mm. And this is risky because um, th this could come with so many uh, health issues in the future. Um, so this is concerning when I hear that from my students. Right. It, does it have to be just milk or can it be all dairy that, to consume all well, dairy, yogurt? Uh, so it's, uh, it's more the, the dairy products. It's not mm -hmm. milk to okay. say it could be Got cheese. It. Um, but again, uh, cheese could be low-fat cheese. We don't have to consume the fat, uh, the, the full fat. Uh, skim mm -hmm. uh, and milk should be the skim milk, not the, the whole, um, whole uh, milk fat. Uh, whole milk, I'm sorry. So, right. um, so sometimes I feel like things on social media are either white or black. Yeah. Um, they know it, it, uh, it could be a gray, uh, area. So for carbs, it's either no carbs or <laughs> all type of carbs, but you can still eat, uh, consume complex carbohydrate and still, uh, be healthy, uh, and, and experience a healthy, um, healthy weight. Right. I find that a lot of people maybe started out with good intentions saying reduce your consumption of carbs, but really meaning maybe refined grains or ultra processed foods, but then just saying carbs when really there's carbs in whole grains and vegetables and fruit. So it all kind of gets lumped together. And the message is completely, like you said, black and white at this point. It's, I'm either supposed to eat all carbs or no carbs there's no gray area in between right and and i feel sometimes um i get most most of my information actually from my students because they they tell me what they read online and what they believe mm -hmm. uh, online and i have to correct and reverse some of their um misinterpretation of things uh so um the idea that i'm getting from them it's like either carbs or no carbs. And when carbs, it, it, it's mostly like eating the sweets, the junk um, that you find mostly in uh, <clears throat> like desserts and uh, candies. This is what carbs for them. Uh -huh. um, <clears throat> so um, yeah, that's what I was uh, trying to say is like, we can still eat carbohydrates, the, the complex form of carbohydrates because the complex form also come with fiber. We need fiber for so many reasons um, and we have two types of fiber in it, in the diet and we need both of them so it's uh plus the complex carb will provide you with all well with many vitamins that are there are um actually removed uh with the uh, from the refined grains so right. i would say complex carbs um low-fat dairy are still needed in our diet yeah your students are lucky to have you because they can bring oh, in you. all their nutrition memes from Instagram <laughs> and, you know, hear right from you to kind of debunk some of them. So that's cool for them. I wish I would have had that in college. <laughs> Thank so you. the final question I ask each of my guests is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Oh, well, it, it means a lot. Um, so again, this is something I tell my students is uh, when when we eat poorly, um, we don't we don't see or feel the symptoms right away. But it, it doesn't mean that we're not having issues happening or problems building up in our system. Unfortunately, when we have um, we, when we see diseases, uh, mid-age. It's not because we ate poorly the in, in the past last few months. Uh, these are accumulations of insults that, that are happening over the years. Mm. And most of the chronic diseases are tied to uh, uh, poor nutrition. So if we invest in our health, uh, we, we will have a quality of life uh, at a later age. I love that. Yeah, such an important point. I know everybody is going to want to follow and find you and read more of your work after hearing this. So where is the best place for everybody to connect with you? Oh. <laughs> Do you have social media? Um, I I have Twitter, but I only post, uh, you know, like every now and then if I, if I remember, <laughs> I post something, but I'm not like uh, big on social media. Um. Well, that's okay. Think... How about just Google? <laughs> oh, yeah. 
<laughs> That's what yeah. actually my previous guest, I interviewed somebody a couple of days ago and he was the first person ever to say, just Google me. And I thought, that's brilliant. <laughs> Actually, I was going to say that, but I felt maybe this is like not appropriate. Like you're no, I love it. <laughs> something more substantial than just Googling. No, I love it. Well, I'll, I'll also Google a lot of your articles and research and I'll link those in the show notes um, in your profile, let's say at your university. Uh, but yeah, sometimes people want to give out all of their social media handles and then I just, yeah, my new favorite response is just Google. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I don't know why I'm not big on social media. Um, although, like, I should. <laughs> I should be just to, to disseminate more of, uh, of my research. But I feel like, uh, like, as you said, if, if people Google, just, you know, they'll be able to find everything there. Right. And I would say social media is a beast. So you're probably better off just not being on it. And then your students will keep you informed of anything yeah. you need to know. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's a, it's a protective way for me uh, because I feel like social media sometimes could have a, a negative impact uh, on uh, um like if I if I see something I don't like, it's just gonna make me like unhappy. Like how 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 this is posted? How is this gonna impact people? Right. So I would I would rather not like as you said, just hear it from my student and address it right <laughs> away to them. Right, and then at least you feel like you're making a small difference because you can yes. tackle it. It's not somebody posting widespread misinformation. No, I think that's a great choice on your part. Thank you so much, Dr. Begdash, for being here. I learned a lot and I love all the nuance of your research and I can't wait to read more of what you publish. Thank you. Uh, I hope I see that you stopped recording, right? Oh, no, not yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. From my end, it shows that um, anyway, uh, I I hope my, my answers were, were coherent. Sometimes it's hard to bring all, all this information uh, in one place. No, they were perfect. I think super informative and just very grateful for your time. Thank you. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.